You might not know me very well, but I might lie to you. Who knows? I'm, I'm a preacher. You know, preachers lie. Don't. Amen, brother. Don't believe a word a preacher says unless it comes out of the Word of God. He's just a man just like you. He, he has faults. He's a sinner. And uh, you always got to lean on the Word of God. You, you, uh, the Thessalonians, they, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. We need to be searching the Scriptures, testing out what's being taught to us, what, what's being preached to us. And it's very, very important. And also, if you don't like the preaching... You just keep on reading where the preacher's at, and you'll get something. God will bless you out of that. I mean, I've had that happen a lot. So Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be at verse, verse 18. I want to start there at verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, when you uh, talk to people and you try to witness to people, and you, you, sometimes you try to witness somebody, try to get them saved, you talk to them about the Lord. That, oh, it seems like every single time it does without fail, somebody says, well, what about, what about the Africans over in Africa? What about those people way over in Africa? And the first thing you say to them is you say, well, let me ask you a question. If the doctor called you in the office and the doctor said, I, I, I need to tell you some really, really bad news. You've got stage four cancer. You've only got months to live. You would be shocked. And if the doctor said, but look, I've got this new medicine that's come out. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a pill. And all you got to do is just, just take this pill. And I promise you, you take this pill and it'll heal you up. And you don't have to ever worry about it. The first words out of your mouth is not going to be, well, what about all those people in Africa that has stage four cancer? The first words out of your mouth is going to be, please give it to me. So stop worrying about them and you need to worry about your own soul first. And secondly, what the Bible tells us here, and you don't, it's because we don't believe it, but the Bible tells us is that they don't have an excuse. They know. And I think some of the problem is that, that we're raised, and this, just this generation, my generation especially, we're raised in this Darwinian evolutionary thinking that men were uh, raised from apes and evolved from apes and from different life forms below us and that we're just simply an animal that's more evolved than another animal. And with this Darwinian thinking, we tend to think that they're over in Africa and they're stupid. You know, they're not as smart as us. They're not as smart as us Americans. The, the, the Mexicans down in Mexico, they're not as smart as us Americans. And we're fools that way. We got this, and that comes from a Darwinian thinking. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but Darwin was a great racist. They sport him up and lift him up and talk so much about Darwin. He was a big racist. The title of his book was The Origin of Species, but it had a subtitle. And the subtitle was The Preservation of Favored Races. The Preservation of Favored Races and the Struggle of Life. Favored Races. This is where Hitler got a lot of his ideas about the Jew. Uh, Hitler had the black man being at a certain level, and then he had the Jew being even lower evolved, and the, the, the Aryan, the, uh, the, his race, the Aryan race, was the most evolved of all of them. That's not what God tells us. 
God tells us that we're all, we're all part of the, uh, we're all been created by God. We're all God's creatures. And then he tells us that he's given us all that conscience, given us all that spirit of life that comes into us. That comes from God. And with that, when we uh, don't acknowledge God, we're without excuse because God's given that to us. And the nature tells us this. Nature screams out to you that there is a God. I, I first, before I was saved, way before I was saved, I first came to God. Not saved, but came to knowing God, sitting out at night and looking at all the stars. And, and realizing, man, I'm just this tiny little speck, and that's so beautiful. And I was looking at God's creation. And I didn't say, I want to worship those stars. I said, I want to worship the one that made those stars. And that's what was one of the beginnings of me being led to Jesus Christ. Listen, those Africans over there, they know. They know. They have an idea of what God wants from them. They know. They're, they're, they're without excuse. They're just not, and they're, and they're smart. We, we don't give them enough credit. They're smarter than we realize. And listen, just because they're not living in a nation and have the same opportunities we have for some of the education we have is, is no excuse. They're very, very smart. Some of the smartest men I've ever run into are old farmers and ranchers that, that left school at 7th and 8th grade. Some of the wisest men I ever met are like that. Some of the dumbest men I've ever met are professors and scholars. I can't even get an amen on that. I know. Amen. amen. Yeah, no, Seriously. I've met some of these old farmers, and you get to talk to them, and they're like, man, how'd you learn that? How'd you know that? Where'd you learn that from? You don't get that out of a textbook, boy. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> they're without excuse, guys, and I'm trying to make that point to you. But we need to get the truth out to them. We need to get the truth out there to them, and we're trying to do it through missionaries. I'm not saying we don't get the truth out there to them, but we get this idea that we worry about, hey, they don't know. They do need to know Jesus Christ, but God is preaching to them. And that's what that says. And that nature itself shows, look at the end of verse uh, 20. Even his eternal power and Godhead, the Trinity, so that they are without excuse. The Son is the perfect type of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son is a perfect type of that. The Son is a perfect type of Jesus Christ. The nature itself just cries out, cries out that there is a God. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So there's a time they know God, God's revealing himself, and they just didn't want to have anything to do with God, and they weren't thankful, and they didn't glorify God. The most wicked thing a Christian can be, uh, most wicked thing a Christian can be is an unthankful Christian. And you can see how wicked that is. That's one of the things that Paul's showing us that God's revealed to him that, that what is that they didn't just not glorify him, but neither were thankful. Neither were thankful for his amazing creation, thankful for the life that he's given them, thankful for the breath of life that they have. Uh, guys, we have so much to be thankful for as Christian. And I'm getting to my sermon here in verse 22 and 23. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's America today. Amen. They profess themselves, they're so wise, they got it all figured out. That Bible's just a bunch of fairy tales. Don't worry about that. We don't worry, we don't think that way anymore. And they have become, they think they're wise, but they're fools. And the more you hear them talk, the more foolish they sound to somebody who knows the Word of God. And it's been around, it's got some common sense. They start, they start talking crazy. See, when that man, he puts on clothes, he's a woman now. 
No, 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 no. Uh, that's, a man, that's, that's a man with clothes on. That's what that is. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not a woman. That's a man with clothes. And you will refer to her as a her. No, that's a him with clothes on. They're, they're, they make themselves like they're wise. But they look stupid. They're fools. Now look at verse 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, starting at verse 23, I'm going to start preaching this morning about changing God. When you change God, you're shortchanging yourself. And my whole theme of this sermon is that when you're changing God, you're going to be shortchanging yourself. And I'm going to show you that out of scriptures. That when you change God, you're shortchanging yourself. Amen. So let's read back through 23 again. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. They change God simply because they don't like God. What it boils down to is they change God because they simply just don't like God. They don't like God how he thinks. They don't like God how he acts. And he doesn't live up to our God, our Jehovah God, the God we know, the one that's the Savior of the universe through Jesus Christ. He doesn't think like they think. He doesn't have the same worldview that they have. He doesn't, he doesn't go through with all the social justice that they, uh, nonsense they come up with. They come up with all these ideas and they create almost like a straw man God and they want God to be like that. So they've changed God into something that they are more, that they like. They changed God into a God that thinks like they think, that talks like they talk, that acts like they act. But let me tell you something, friends. That God is not the God of Jehovah. That's not the God that we know. That's not the true God. That's an imaginary God. They've changed God from being God, and they've changed God into being simply a man, and thinks like a man. Our God don't think like us. Our God doesn't think anything like us. Isaiah 55, 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Why is that, Lord? He says in the next verse, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. You can't think like God. You don't think like God. You're never going to think like God. You don't act like God. You're never going to act like God. So stop trying to make God you. Amen. You're trying to change God to be more like you. A despicable, sorry, no good individual. That's what you make God. And, and you don't like that God condemns homosexuality or God condemns adultery or that God condemns fornication or stealing or lying or thieving. You don't like the way God does that, so you simply just change Him in your mind. But you're not changing God. Amen. Our God doesn't change. But you want Him to change. You want Him to make Him like that. And that's what this says. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto a corruptible man. You want God to walk around like you and think like you and talk like you. And, and if he don't talk like you and act like you and think like you, well, then he's not a God that I want. Amen. And I've had somebody tell me that. Well, I don't want a God that acts that way. Do you understand what just came out of your mouth? The one, when you say God, what you're saying is the one that created you, that holds the very power of your life in his hands, the one that has the very power to snuff you out and throw you into hell, you just said you don't want him. Yeah. 
Because the way he acts. What you need to be saying is, I want to change the way I act. Because I don't want him to do what he can do to me. I have to show him all the honor and glory. And say, listen, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. He's God. He's a creator. And you can't change him. You cannot change him. Look at verse uh, 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. And you see this going on. It's this humanistic view. It's a, you know, we don't need God. We can fix ourselves. We don't, you don't need religion. You don't need God. And I'm here to tell you, I'll be the first to tell you, you don't need religion. You need Jesus Christ. But they say you don't need to go to church. You don't need to be around God. You just, that's all fairy tales, all fable. We're just going, but with philosophy, we'll figure you out. We'll get you straightened out with this humanistic view of you, you, self, you turn in on yourself and you start thinking, I can do it. I can do it. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And God through the Bible says, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. But they don't want to hear the Bible. They close the Bible up. They say, we don't want to have no part of the Bible. We don't want to hear that. Because I can, I think, I can, I can. And you're changing the truth of God into a lie. Amen. Causing them to worship themselves and humankind. They change the truth of God into a lie and they worship and serve the creature, the creature more than the creator. It causes this God is like them. They, want, they, they, they worship themselves and humankind. It makes this God like them. They want a God just like them, so it causes them to start worshiping mankind and starts making them worship humankind, and they worship themselves. And that's the worst thing you can do is start worshiping yourself. That's what you see in the world today is people worshiping themselves. It's all about me. It's all about what you're going to do for me. It's a very scary time we live in, guys. We live in a world that they just everybody's self-worshipping, and they're forgetting that we need to. They forgot we need to worship God and who He really is. When you change God to be like you, you're just making one of the most despicable gods you could ever make. It's a scary, a scary thing, and I've met men like that that almost have themselves up as God, put themselves up on the pedals. Look at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's what you got going on today, lesbianism. That's what it is. That's what it is. So I had a guy one time, he, 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 was, he was 20 years my senior. 20 years my senior came to me and he said, and this guy had been in church all his life. He says, I don't even think there's anything in the Bible, there's anything in the Bible that speaks against homosexuality. And, and I said, well, so I went and I got the Bible and I showed him some verses. And after I got through showing him some verses, he went home and he looked those verses up in the Bible. And he came back to where I worked. And you know what he told me? You're right. The Bible does talk about homo, against homosexuality. <laughs> Look at verse 27. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat, homosexuality, right there. God's turned them over. When you start worshiping yourself, that's where this leads. When you start worshiping the creature, the creature more than the 
Creator, this is where this leads. You're worshiping yourself and you get into self-vanity. You get into how you look and how you appear. And then you get to wanting to please this flesh. And guys, that just leads down one of the darkest, deepest, hellish holes you could ever go down into. Is when you get into this thing where you go, I'm going to please my flesh as much as I can please it. That's where you get the, the gay pride parades where they're, they're stomping through the streets and it's some of the most vile, heinous things you could ever imagine being done out in public. That's what happens when you allow your flesh, you turn against God and you allow your flesh just to take over and say, I just want to please it in every way. It's a scary thing. And you, we're living in a society where they say, love is love. Love is love. Love is love. You know what that is? It's verse 27. They burned in their lust. Friend, love is not love. Lust is lust. You're calling love love. You're calling lust love. Friend, it's not love. That's called lust. Amen. And lust, lust takes. Lust just takes. I gotta have it. It's, that's lust. And what you're living in is lust. And lust is lust. Love gives. Love gives. Love gives. So don't be applying love as love to that. That's called lust. Lust is lust. You're living in sin when you're living like that. And boy, I tell you what, living, you know, we're out here in the way out here in the middle of nowhere. You think, well, uh, you won't ever have any trouble talking about homosexuality. Yes, I would. I've had the phone calls. I've had the phone calls. I've had somebody call me up and say, my daughter's a lesbian and she wouldn't feel comfortable at your church. And I laughed at her. I said, well, of course not. I wouldn't feel comfortable at a gay bar. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, I don't expect her to. But she's welcome to come in here and sit down as long as she don't disturb the services and listen to preaching. I'm not going to run her off. She can't come down and join the church. But the point is, she needs to hear preaching just like we need to hear preaching. I'm not trying to run anybody off, but I'm trying to tell you if she feels uncomfortable, I bet she does. I would too. I feel uncomfortable too when I'm living in my sin. And I'm, not, I'm in my sin, when I live in my sin and come to church, I feel uncomfortable. So I can imagine she feels uncomfortable too. But just like I would feel uncomfortable going to a gay bar or being at a gay pride parade, I'd feel real uncomfortable. Amen. Other words, I didn't make any apologies. I'm not apologizing for what the Word of God teaches. Amen. It's our crawfishing. Oh, well, it's just let them be, let them live there. It's our crawfishing that's led to the world that we're living in today. You give them an inch, now they're taking a mile. You know, it was, oh, well, just let them be. Love is love. Just let them be. And now we're living in a society saying, if you don't do what they want you to do, we're going to give you a fine and throw you in jail. If you don't call them what we want you to call them, if you don't treat them the way, that's called homophobia. You're, that's hate speech. And now look where we're at. I'm a preacher sitting behind a pulpit worried about getting arrested. Oh, Brother Keegan, you're just crazy. Listen to me. It's coming. It's happening in the UK right now. In Australia right now. If you speak against Islam, you're going to get fined. You speak against homosexuality, you're going to get fined. That's hate speech in their eyes. And God says there in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. God says that's truth speech. I'm just giving the truth. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. I, that's why I'm saying don't trust me. I'm telling you from the very beginning, and I not say, don't trust what this preacher says. Trust what he shows you out of the Word of God. you got to get the Word of God. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't like God, they don't like the way he acts, they say, I don't want God around me. 
God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are, which are not convenient. So they forgot God. They forgot God, so God lets them forget how to act godly. They forgot God, so God says, okay, I'll let you forget to act, how to act godly. And you have these men and women living certain lifestyles. You have these men and women living in sin. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about any kind of sin. You have men and women just walling around like pigs in sin. And they don't have any idea how ungodly they look. Amen. I mean, we have young teenagers walking around. And they look like something out of a horror show. Earrings about this big look like they got tires in their ears, tattoos all over their faces, all over their bodies, all over. They walk around and they're like, hey man, how you doing? And you're looking at them, you're like, my gosh, you look like a demon. You look like some of a horror show. They've forgotten what it is to be godly. And God, that's what God's saying. That's what Paul's telling us. That they did not retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. He said, okay, you forget me, then I'm going to let you forget what it's like to be me. Being filled with all unrighteousness. This is going to be a list of what you see around you every day. Unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, gay pride parade, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Wow. You can go through the doors of Walmart and see every bit of that before you can get out the other side. Every bit of that, man. You see it. I seen somebody this other day. I'm driving in my work truck going down the road. <laughs> this is not funny, but it's funny. Guys, this car's parked at the light, and there's another car behind him, and this lady's getting out of her car. And I see that lady getting out of her car, and I said, well, that lady's having car trouble. No, she wasn't having car trouble. She was having husband trouble because her husband was in the back of the other car behind her. And she come over there, and I could see, I could almost read her lips. She just started chewing on him. And that guy's just sitting there going, just looking at her like, okay, honey, okay, whatever. And she says, ooh, ooh. Say, so how do you know that that was husband and wife? I've been married. Amen, Amen brother. And, uh, and the reason why I'm so 100% sure is because I know that couple. You know, Brownwood seems like a big town until you live there all your life. And then everything starts shrinking down. It's like, oh, I know her. Oh, I know him. Ooh, she's getting on to him. <laughs> all that, see that verses we just read? It's all that right there. You see all this. It's out in public, man. Nobody's ashamed of it. I'm, I ask my wife, please, if you're going to chew on me, you're going to eat on me, or you're going to beat me with a baseball bat, at least let us get behind closed doors so you won't embarrass me in front of my friends, you know, in front of my family. Some of y'all can't even imagine my wife carrying a big old stick, but she does. I'm just lying. I'm getting quiet in here. <laughs> Verse 31, without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Man, that's an ungodly society. That's the one we're living in right there. It's a scary thought. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which they, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, Look, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We're living in a society that's, that people are acting so wicked, and people are not only not ashamed of it, but they're glorifying it. They try to change God, so God changes them. 
I see this with God. I don't want you. I don't want you in my life, God. Get out of my life, God. And God says, okay. Let's see how that goes. And he does exactly what they want. And before long, it isn't a generation later that you have a generation of people saying, how did we get like this? Just like Israel in, in Egypt. Crying out to God, oh, get us out of bondage. Oh, we're, oh, we're miserable. But we got a merciful God that comes in and saves us. No matter what condition you're in. When you change God, when you change God from being your creator to a creature like yourself, friend, you're just shortchanging yourself. You take away the most marvelous, wonderful, incredible God. I, I was praying to God and I said, God, Father, you're just the most amazing God. There's no other God like you. There's no other God that could be like you. If there was another God, there'd be no other God like you. We have a, you're changing all of that for yourself. You're getting a raw deal. You're shortchanging yourself. Look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9. Mm. Je or Jeremiah chapter 2, pardon me. Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll move right along. We're talking about when you ch changing God is shortchanging yourself. Changing God is shortchanging yourself. And I've seen this in society. They, just keep, they keep changing God. They want God to change. They, they really believe that God thinks like they think. They believe God acts like they act. And he doesn't. And he never has. And he's never going to. And they, keep, they want to change God. You can't change God. The same God that was given the Ten Commandments is the same God that's around today. Amen. The same God that was walking through, manifest through Jesus Christ, that's the God we have today. He's not going to change just because society's changed. Amen. Our God's not going to start thinking like we think just because we think it's a better way to think. Amen. Just because some stupid professor told you you need to be socially correct, you need to be politically correct, you need to start thinking a certain way, God laughs at that and God says, I'm not thinking that way. Because I don't think like you. And they're trying to pigeonhole God into being like that, make a straw man God, make an imaginary God. That's not God. But when you're doing that, listen to me, when you're doing that kind of stuff, and you can, you can try to make God like that, and you can be a fool yourself into believing God's like that, you're just shortchanging yourself. Amen. Verse 9, chapter 2, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord says here, Wherefore, the Lord says here to Jeremiah, Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. You know what the Lord's saying there? He said, I'm pleading with you. And I'm going to keep pleading with you until you come to your senses. Amen. See, that's why we have such an amazing, wonderful God. Because he's not a God that says, okay, I'm done with you. You're dead. Boom, bah, get out of here. I'm killing all of them. He says, you know what? You don't understand. Let me talk to you. And then you run off. And he says, for a generation or two, for your children's children, I'm going to keep pleading with you. Come to your senses. Hey, wake up. Verse 10, for pass over the isles of Chittim and see and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. He's saying look far and wide. What God's saying there in verse 10, he says, I want you to look far and wide, see if you've seen, ever, ever seen this happen before. What is that? Look at verse 11. Here's what he says. I want you to look far, far and wide and see if you've ever seen what happens in verse 11. Hath the nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? 
What God's saying there is, He says, have you ever seen a nation that's serving a false god, serving Dagon or Ashtoreth or Baal, or serving a false god, and then change their gods to another false god? And this, it's amazing when you think about it, because I meditated on that, and I meditated on it, and you're going to be really hard-pressed to find a nation, an ungodly nation that changed their gods. The Buddhists, when they became, when they, once the Buddhists became Buddhists, they've been Buddhists. Once, the, once Muslim came in, Islam came in, Muhammad came in, they've been Muslims. They've stuck with Islam. It's Christians and Jehovah, the Jews, that we, we try to get rid of our God. We're crazy. It makes no sense. He says, had the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. A nation, look, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. A nation with God is a glorious nation. Amen. When a nation has God as their God, it's a glorious nation. Amen. Look at the beginning, in the, uh, you look at all of America, that's a glorious nation. Look at the nation of Israel, that's a glorious nation. They have God as their, have God, as their God, that's a glorious nation. But he goes on to say, for that which doth not profit. You never profit when you exchange God for something else. Amen. You're never going to profit. I never have profited in my short life. I've never profited when I exchanged God, my Lord and Savior, for something else. You're never going to profit when you exchange going to church to going to a bar. Amen. There's no profit in that. You're never going to, when you exchange Bible reading and studying for watching TV, there's no profit in that. When you stop, when you stop reading your Bible, stop studying your Bible and say, you're gonna, I'm going to just go ahead and just watch TV instead, you're never getting a profit out of that. Amen. You'll not profit when you exchange prayer for surfing on the internet or playing on your phone, whatever other thing you're doing with some kind of electronic device. When you should be praying and you say, oh, I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to you know, go over here and surf on the internet, uh, get on my phone, go on Facebook or whatever, get on a video game. You never profit from that. Amen. But we tend to exchange things for God. We tend to take our God and we tend to take God and try to exchange it for something else. And there's no profit in that. And there's never going to be a profit in that. Look at the very next verse. It should scare you. Verse 12. Be astonished, O you heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. God has something to say to them people. Anybody who's trying to change God for something else, that's trying to give an exchange, he said, you should be astonished and horribly afraid. It should be astonishing to you how America has exchanged God for humanism. It should, be astonishing. it should be astonishing to you that a, a country that was created on God, through God, in God we trust, a, a nation that was God-fearing, Christ-preaching, uh, a nation that loved the Lord Jesus Christ, that ex exchanged all that love and joy for Jesus Christ and exchanged it for humanism. I want to hear what a professor has to tell me other than what God's Word has to tell me. 
I want to hear what science has to tell me other than what God's Word has to tell me. I want to hear what some wicked, sinful preacher or, or pastor or somebody else has to say other than what God's Word has to say. See how we exchange, just exchange what God has for us for something else, and it's always wicked. And it's astonishing that we so quickly have done that. We've exchanged what God has given us for humanism. Humanism is a belief that man can fix himself without God. When I say humanism, that's what the definition of that is. It's a belief that man can fix himself without any help from God. That'll send you straight to hell. It should make you horribly afraid. Look, he says at this, and be horribly afraid. God says, be horribly afraid. Not just afraid, horribly afraid. It should make you horribly afraid to see how America has exchanged God for the false God of money and wealth. It scares me that people have an idea of do whatever it takes to whomever it is to make more money. People have the idea, it doesn't matter what I do to you or what I do to somebody else or what I have to do, as long as I'm making money, I'm going to do it. And I've told you, when you exchange church for more work, you never profit. When you exchange church for going to the bar, you're never going to profit. You're only going to profit when you stick with the Lord and stick with His people. Amen. Amen. And it should, be hor it, should, it should astonish you and bring a horrible fear on you that people in this country are living that way. God will judge a country that's forsaken Him. I mean, that's where we're at in America. And there needs to be, and we have just a few, but there needs to be more men with some guts or women stand up in the Congress, stand up in the Senate and say, we need to get back to God. I don't care about the border wall. I don't care. We need to get back to God. Stand up and start proclaiming God. Say, we need to get some principles here. We need to stop aborting people in the womb. We need to start living a godly life. We need to get back to God. We need somebody to stand up. Because it's astonishing and horribly afraid that what God's going to do to us. You read your Old Testament like I read my Old Testament. God destroyed Israel for this stuff. Why do we think America's going to get away with it? I know this is, I'm patriot, I love America. But when I hear people say, God bless America, I think, for what? What should God bless America for? And I'm not trying to be facetious, tell me. For what should God bless America for? Now, if you say, for helping Israel, amen. 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 I hope God blesses us for that. But once you get past all of that, give me some reasons. It's hard to find them. Be astonished, horribly afraid. Verse 13, why? Look at this, guys. For my people have committed two evils. What have they done, Lord? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hold them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They're changing God. They want to change the living waters, a fountain of living waters. They want to change, change that for some old broken down cistern. God says that's two evils. Men like Ponce de Leon. Ponce de Leon, y'all remember studying about him when you were in school? Men like Ponce de Leon, he searched and dreamed of the fountain of life. The fountain of youth. 
Oh, if he could have found the fountain of youth. Oh, it, maybe it's in Florida. Oh, if I could just find the fountain of youth, I can get in that water and I can live forever and I can live young and I can be young again. And the whole time men like Ponce de Leon were searching for the fountain of youth, it was right under the noses the whole time. It was just a prayer away to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Eternal life, those living waters. People say to me, I don't know if Jesus was God. Well, what's that right there? God says, look, God says there, forsake me. This is the Lord speaking, the fountain of living waters. Jesus Christ said he was the living waters. He'll give you living water to eternal life. That's God manifesting out right there, brothers and sisters. Woo! It was all right there. That fountain of youth was right there, just a prayer away to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something, Ponce de Leon. I just like saying that word, Ponce de Leon. Let me tell you something, Ponce de Leon. If you were to found the fountain of youth, it can compare nothing it can compare to nothing like what I have in the living waters. Let me, say, let me tell you why. Because you can get in that fountain of youth and you can come out of that water and you can say, look, I'm young. And you're going to step out of that water, you're going to look, I'm going to live forever. And then you're going to look and go, oh, look who my president is again. i got to pay taxes. Oh, look, there's my loved ones. All of them are dying and I'm still alive. What have I got to live for? This world, this ain't world ain't worth living for. Uh-uh. It's not. It's not Ponce de Leon. It's not. But see, the living waters, why they're so much better and far better, a hundred times better than you could ever dream of in the fountain of life is, not only am I getting eternal life, I'm getting it in a far better place named heaven with all my loved ones that have gone on before me in the Lord. They have eternal life. And while you might want to live in this world forever, I don't want to live in this world. I'm just a sojourner. I'm just passing through. This is all the devils. You can have it. Keep it. I'm going on. I've got, I'm heading for a city not, that's not made by man. I'm heading for a city made by God called heaven. And Jesus Christ promised me in John 14, He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Thank you, Lord. I can't wait to get up there. Because you are the fountain of living waters. And they're trying to change the fountain of living waters. Well, look, and they hew them out cisterns, broken cisterns. They're creating their own God. They said, I don't want the living waters. I'm going to create a cistern, my cistern. I'm going to create it, and it's going to catch this water. And we see... God creates the water. God creates the rain. They've got to rely on God. They, they're so stupid because they became wise or fools. They're, like, well, they're catching something that God's created. And, oh, and it's all broken down. I'm here to tell you, they're trying to change the living waters for a septic tank. They're trying to change, go from the living waters and they're wanting to pick a septic tank. And why men and women want to do that is beyond me. They just don't understand what amazing, incredible joy and peace you find in Jesus Christ, they don't understand it. They would never, ever exchange something like that. Let me show you one more, and then we'll close real quick in Psalms. Psalm 106, let me show you one more. We're changing, when you change God, you're shortchanging yourself. When you change God, you're shortchanging yourself. 
Look at uh, Psalms 106. <clears throat> Man, I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine why anybody want to change our God. He's amazing just the way He is. Leave Him alone. You know, His ways are higher than my ways, and I love His ways. You know why I love God's ways? Because there's times where I've thought against God. There's times where I've thought, God, I just don't think that you're right. This is not the way it should be. And as I got a little older and lost a lot more hair and got a lot more grayer, I look back on that and I'm like, woo-wee, I sure was a stupid idiot. Man, what was I even thinking? God is so much smarter than me. It took some of those for me to realize, you know what, God, whatever. I trust in you. And I'm not going to change a thing about you. You don't think there's some things in here I wouldn't change out of this book? Oh, yeah. If you've lust on a woman and in your heart, you committed adultery with her already, oh, we can cut that one right out, Lord. Just cut that one out. That's why they wanted to kill him, Jesus Christ. Look at 106, Psalm 106. We're changing. We're closing up. Look at verse 19. Changing God is shortchanging yourself. Psalms 106, look at verse 19. And it's talking about when they came down and Aaron made the golden calf when Moses was up on the mount with the Ten Commandments and Moses came down and they had created the golden calf. This is what this is referring to. And it says they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Look, verse 20. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. Brothers and sisters, or anybody who needs the sound of my voice, what you worship, what you worship is what you're saying is your God. And I know that sounds simple, but you really need to meditate on that. Because what you're worshiping, you're saying, that's my God, that's my creator. And when you get to worshiping money, or you get to, wor get to worship in land or houses or whatever it is, material things. What you're saying is, I'm less than paper and iron and metal and wood. I'm less than that. Because what the Bible's telling us there in verse 20 is, thus they changed, when they worshiped the golden calf, they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. And what the Bible's telling us there in verse 20 is a great profound thing is what you're worshiping is what you, you're, you're saying that was, has created you. And guys, everybody is made, is created in the image of God. You've got a glory about you that you don't even know you have. You're walking around like a little mini God. That's glorious. And God's created you in glory as an image of Him. And that's wonderful. And you take that great and glorious image of him and say, I'm going to worship this ox. I'm going to be a cow. I'm going to be less than a cow. And that's why the Bible says in verse 20, they changed their glory into the similitude, the likeliness of an ox that eateth grass. Just some dumb animal. Don't shortchange yourself by worshiping science, education, money. God is your creator and He created you a special, glorious creation. I don't care if you're not even saved. God created you. And he loves you. He loves, unlike the ox, unlike Muhammad, unlike Buddha, unlike any other thing you can worship, He is your Creator. Thus, for 
Henceforth, since He is your Creator, He loves you as a Creator. And he is, you are a special creation to Him. And He will now come and die for His creation. And say, I love them enough. They're so special to me that I'm willing to put my life through Jesus Christ on the cross so they can spend their life with me and have eternal life. You're such a favored and glorious creation that he was willing to come down as a man and die on the cross to save his glorious creation. He didn't come down to die for dogs. I know everybody loves their dogs. He didn't come down dying for cats. He didn't come down dying for a car or for a house or for lions or for sheep. He came down to die for man. You're special. And when science tells you, oh, you're not special, you just evolved with all the monkeys and the apes. And as you came up, uh-uh, God says, he made all of them. And then he looked and he says, I want to make man in my image. And you say, well, look how the apes, they look like man. What you're seeing there, you're not seeing us evolving. You're seeing a common denominator in a designer. You had the same designer. You had the same creator. You had the same man putting his hands on both those. You're seeing the same fingerprints on the ape and on the monkey and on the man. That doesn't tell you that they evolved. That tells you that there's a creator. He's glorious. And you're denying him. And now you want to change him into being dumb like your professor who's trying to teach you evolution. If you're not saved, you're just that special to God the Father and to Jesus Christ. You're just that special to die for and to shed His blood. And it's very, very humbling to think that God loves us enough as a Creator who created me to say, I know you're wicked, I know you're sorry, I know you're not living right, but I'm going to come down I'm going to die for you because you got my glory on you and you look like me what a what a mind-boggling thing you're always shortchanging yourself when you change God when you change God you're just shortchanging yourself from being a glorious image of God creation to just some dumb ox that eateth grass father Lord as I come to you humbly father in prayer father I just pray Lord God that your Holy Spirit will move and father I just pray that uh as we give this invitation, Lord God, that if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice, Lord God, if they need to get saved, Lord, if they, they don't know for sure if they're going to heaven or hell, Lord God, just pray as we give the invitation that they'll come on down the aisle, Lord God, and get saved. Maybe there's somebody, Lord God, that just wants to come down the prayer altar, Lord God, and pray. I don't know what might be on people's hearts, Father God, but you know. And Father, we're just going to open up this invitation, Father God, with a song, Lord, and we're just praying your Holy Spirit will move and bless everybody underneath the sound of my voice, Father God. And Father, I just pray that you... Be with them. Bless them, Lord God. Go with them through the rest of this week, Lord God. But, Father, help us to live that life to show you in us. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God.
So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him